My next guest is a global account executive. Please welcome Eddie Blackwell. Eddie, how's it going? Hey, doing well, RJ. How about yourself? Hey, man. Doing great. Doing good. Hey, thanks for coming on to the podcast, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I, I'm actually honored to be a participant here and contribute. <laughs> well, yeah. thanks. Well, hey, man, let's, let's jump right into it. Okay. What do you do? Yeah, so that's a great question. I would say uh, not by title, but by in my own mind, what I do is I'm a technologist who leads a team responsible for some of the largest customers on the globe, specific to telco, media, and entertainment. That's a big blurb, but to simplify the layman's terms, Within uh, software companies, you basically have verticals of different customers and the customer set that me and my team focus on are specific to like carriers. Like when you think of the Verizons of the world, when you think of T-Mobiles, AT&Ts, et cetera, that's like my specific subset. Okay. And so with that now, what are your top responsibilities or duties? What are you actually doing? Yeah, it's a great question. A number of things. So within the company, I serve as almost a little bit of a product liaison because I'm fielding the things that I'm hearing from the customer. So like early adoption type of technologies, but I'm also fielding and hearing feedback around our current product sets. And then what I'm also seeing in the ecosystem. And it's just not, it's not just solely me, it's, it's the collective team. So there's that aspect of it, but for the company and for the customer itself, there's an account management component of this, right? And so our company has software that our customers use and the responsibility of myself and the team is to ensure that there's proper consumption of the software and that ultimately both the customer and my company are achieving the same goals of success. Success for the customer means, again, it goes back to this problem solving matrix, but the deployment of the software to solve some type of end goal. Okay. And for you, is it one or just a couple customers that you're working with or, or several customers? Yeah. So in the past, I, I focused like the, if you look at the last what, 12, 12, 12 years of my life, I've really focused on one, one customer in particular, which is AT&T. My role has expanded to that currently with Snowflake, but yeah, but, but all still under that same vertical of telco, media, and entertainment. But yeah. Got you. Okay. All right. And so you're sort of like a technical consultant, I guess, uh, uh, for them and helping them with is it any of the product that are being rolled out to them? So yes, yes, technical consultant in some, in some regards. So like the, I'd say more like uh, at this point, I'm responsible for the entire business, right? And so right. look at the business and it, and it breaks down into two pillars, one being just pure account management, which is more like, you know, T's and C's. And then you've got the other pillar, which would be, you know, technical, the, the pure technical side of, you know, how do we uh, flesh some type of solution together, the nuts and bolts of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then prior to this, you were an engineer, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I kind of like, you said, hey, what do you do? I, I still hold on to the engineering side. I, okay, I still got you. Yeah. <laughs> so is that, it? was that a smooth transition, though? We're going from an engineer specifically, mm -hmm. a systems engineer, to going to the role you are now with working with this large corporation and helping them with all the issues that you do? Yeah, you know, yes and no, right? It's a layered question because to be honest with you, I never thought I'd be in this type of a role. Mm. I never had any interest in it. And, it, you know, for the for folks that are, are engineers, 
management on the technical side, they, they'll look to the business aspect of this type of role as the dark side, kind of like a mm. star, right? So, you know, I never, never believed that I would transition to the dark side. Um, <laughs> but if I look at my career, I mean, it, it's been gradually progressing that way. I mean, I started off as a, a software engineer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, transitioned into, you know, pre-sales engineering and then catapulted into this principal SC role. And, you know, it just, my, my career just somehow, I don't know, there were, I mean, I made some decisions here clearly, but you know, I slowly over time progressed into into this role. Okay. And then, so I know you say you slowly did get to the dark side, but uh, <laughs> can, you, can you talk about some steps that you might have taken? Because it seems like such different skill sets. So can you talk about some of the steps that you took to get there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that if I look at it holistically, and I, I'm still on this journey, it really comes down to what your innate gifts are, mm-hmm. um, the development of those gifts, and the inspiration and or motivation that you receive along the way that kind of open your eyes to new paths and journeys. So when I started my career as a software engineer, I mean, I was still in college and my way through work, right? Like I never would have thought that I would enjoy talking about technology because I was actually coding it. You know, through an experience, I had to fill in for systems engineer in an event and uh, essentially, I just talked to the technology. That's really all they want you to do at these, these, these conventions, right? Which was easy for me because I was writing the code. And then, um, you know, sales rep told me, hey, you could make almost twice the amount of money that you're making now by actually doing this role and you're naturally good at it. And I, you know, I scratched my head. It didn't take too long for me to start exploring that path, right? Right. And then, um, you know, you, you progress like through different, again, different mentor inspiration, but the things, the skills that I think are, are probably most critical, have been the most critical for me and my success would be, you know, innately, I'm a social person, right? Mm. And you look at engineers, um, a lot of engineers, they're not strong communicators, right? Right. There's a different kind of mentality. So I've always seen myself as somewhat of a hybrid from that perspective. The second piece, so, so that would be one piece, just communication. The second skill set would be the acumen, right? Like I've always had a strong business acumen, but I, I got the technology as well. And I feel like, very similar to the way that people position software or any kind of product, you have to have, you know, core competencies, but then also key differentiators. And that's one of my key differentiators is that, you know, I always had the business acumen so I could connect the dots, like the, the features of a product to the business value associated with it. And as I started progressing in my career and focusing on larger and larger accounts, like that value that I present was more meaningful to the software company of which I represented. Mm. So towards the end of my engineering career, that, that chapter of it, I was a principal engineer at VMware. I had a dual role. I served in the office of the CTO. I focused on network function virtualization, which is, this is all telco language jargon stuff. But nice. my point is that like, these tools helped me, helped me sharpen my blade in dealing with customers like you know, AT&T, et cetera. And so in, in parallel with that, I was also paired with someone who was driving the business, responsible for the business, doing basically what I'm doing right now in my current role, mm-hmm. and from him as well, right? So I almost felt like I was sharpening my blade in both of these parallels. On the technical side, I was getting extremely uh, proficient. And then on the business side, I was, I was being exposed to things that I, I hadn't been exposed to before, both from a business perspective and a customer perspective, and even yeah. navigating within my own organization. And so there was a tipping point there where, you know, things just clicked for me. Yeah. And again, you go back to who you are, right? And like these innate gifts. And I had just matured to a place, at least in my mind, where I was like, you know what? Maybe the dark side, <laughs> maybe the dark side <laughs> is so bad, right? 
Um, Come and, to the dark side. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> but uh, probably the other skill set, I mean, to your question would be, um, you have to take risks, right? Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, I probably had no, sh no shortage of taking risks in my youth. But as you get older, <laughs> you've got more weighted on the line, i.e. family, kids. And what I found is you, you make the best decision with the information you have at that given time. Right. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And it makes sense what you said, your innate skills. You are a very outgoing person and you have technical skill sets and you've worked in that role, in that technical role for so long that you have that experience, that expertise and that knowledge. And so putting it all together, it just makes sense that you'll be successful at what you're doing now. So that's great. Now, what's the travel life for you in a job? I guess pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-COVID, pre-COVID, everyone asks that question. Where, where do you live? And I'd say, uh, you know, Austin, Texas and United Airlines, right? Um, I, traveled like, I traveled once a week. So prior to kids, I'd be gone maybe two to three days a week, right? With kids, I, you know, I definitely throttled that down and definitely became more efficient in my, in, in my travel, specifically the meetings and how I would schedule them, right? Things weren't as ad hoc, but yeah, I mean, travel is a necessary element of my job because, and it's, it's actually with COVID, it's impaired it to some degree because you have to build these relationships. That's, that's another one of, one of my gifts, I would say, but also one of the things I personally enjoy is being able to build these relationships with folks on a number of different levels, both business and personal. And it's very challenging. You know, you think about a Zoom session or a Zoom meeting, you can get to the business, the brass tacks extremely fast. But what you lose are those personal conversations that you would have gained, like when you go to someone's office and you walk from the front desk to their actual office, when you leave their office and you go to lunch, there are conversations that are had there that you can't have on a Zoom traditionally, right? Because it's kind of like lights, camera, action, go. So, you know, learning about someone's family, learning about what you really have in common, those kind of things. Um, but yeah. All right. No, that makes sense. And that's, that's the challenge. Now you talked about traveling two days a week. You know, with that, what are you doing while you're there? And just in general, what's a typical day look like for you? That's a great point. Um, so, so it's, yeah, I probably have two primary types of days, right? I've got a day like when I'm, when I'm actually not on the road, right? And when I'm not on the road, I am working from home. Like yeah. I don't want to make sure. One, I'm seeing the investment that I'm paying for in this house. Um, two, uh, you know, I, I like my wife and my kids and my dog, so I want to spend time with them, right, and be a present. But the other piece is that, you know, I'm on the computer, I'm taking calls, I'm talking to internal teams from the business, I'm talking to partners in our ecosystem. So when we sell to a customer, there are partner businesses, like third-party agencies, if you will, that also will resell our software and or they provide some type of consultative services, right? Implementation work, et cetera. And they partner with them essentially to create a greater value from the customer's perspective, right? There's one thing for the customer to buy the software, but then you want them to be successful in the deployment of it in their environment. And that's where these partners come into play with their added on services. So a large chunk of my time is spent working with all of those partners and maintaining the relationships that I have with them. And there's the internal piece with my team touching base. I've got regular cadence calls with all of the internal teams within that, that support my customer subset. And then there's the homework that I have to do on a regular basis, which, in, you know, I, I kind of equate technology to medicine, right? The same way that medicine is always changing and evolving, the same, it's the same thing with technology. So you constantly have to study it to some degree. And I don't, I, don't, I don't need to be the expert per se, but I do need to be sharp about what's going on in my space. 
that's forward looking as well. You know, anything from, you know, 12 to 36 months in advance, I, you know, I need to be in charge of that. Right. Mm. I'm studying that aspect of it. And then the, the other piece of this is, which is my favorite, which is um, the strategy. You know, you have to spend time strategizing on how you, you've got all of these different moving parts from the, the players on your team, to the partners, to the, your own organization, to the customer itself, and all of the things that are going on in the customer's environment. You have to learn those pieces like studying 10Ks and being abreast of all of the different external factors that are going on, micro and macro, and putting all of those together almost like a, it's, it's literally like a thousand piece puzzle that you dump on a table. Mm. I look at my job as like, I'm taking all these pieces and trying to put it together to get a, a visual and figure out what my mapping is, right? So those are the things that I do on a, on a regular day basis when I'm not traveling. When I'm traveling, honestly, just from a, a bureaucracy perspective, like the work that I have to do, it's really just catching up on emails, that kind of thing. But the primary focus is meeting with customers and getting that FaceTime. And then um, ultimately with the customer, trying to understand what their problems are, right? Yeah. And, Okay. Wow. Great description on how you do. I had no idea that you have to deal with all that. Now, when you talked about the change, uh, how much and how fast technology is changing and how you got to be in front of it and studying it, what do you do? What type of resources are you using to, to stay in front of it and, and study what's going on? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, when I was in my technical role, I did not have to study that much because I, quite honestly, I was always, I was always with technical folks mm-hmm. from, I Number of different verticals and I, I ate it I slept it right yeah <laughs> so so there wasn't that much work in this current role I, I literally I have to do my homework and I've got I've got subscriptions to multiple feeds yeah. right um, I'm on the internet I'm talking to ecosystem partners you're as sharp as your counsel right you're, <laughs> so I keep the sharp counsel around me a technologist I make sure to do that I've got you know a couple technical folks on my teams that there's some folks that are experts in one particular domain, but what I found is that there are a couple of other folks that they've got a broad set of knowledge and I will talk to them, have conversations to hear things that are of interest to me. I grab a couple of those and then I dig down and do my own homework on it. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting for me though. Right. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah hundred percent. All right. Okay. And now just to make sure for the skill sets you mentioned, communication skills, your business acumen, of course, you're maintaining relationships, relationship building, maintaining. And then I would say, I guess your, your technical knowledge too is a, a piece. Any other skills or characteristics you think or feel that are important to be successful in your line of business? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, one piece is self-awareness. Mm. I think the other piece I would say is you've got, I think the most successful people, it's, it's cliche, but sure, you want to build relationships and everyone you'll say, oh yeah, I get what building relationships is, right? But you know, why are some people more successful than others at building relationships? And, you know, right now, like the industry will talk about things like authenticity and uh, the growth mindset and all of these different things. And they're true. And what I found is that the greater introspection that you do in yourself, finding out who you are, what makes you tick, what makes you different, and constantly trying to expose yourself to new experiences, it increases your bandwidth in dealing with people holistically Mm -hmm. and understanding having EQ and having empathy for where they're coming from. But the other part is that it just also makes you more interesting, right? Because you can truly relate and find a way to connect with someone. Ultimately, I mean, that, that could be a separate talk track in itself about like what's life really about. Like, it, you know, it, there's an argument that says that it's about connecting with people. But I think to be 
really good at this job, you have to be able to understand there's an element of critical thinking, be able to know yourself, question yourself, be able to question others, not be threatened when other people question you, but really look at everything from the perspective of why do they think that way? Like why is probably the, probably the one question that, that irritated my parents the most growing up, but it's the one question that serves me probably the best right now, because I always, I'm always asking why. Yeah. why, well, why is it? The other thing I'd say that, that you have to have here is resilience and you have to find this place of, um, of confidence within, not that braggadocious, arrogant thing, right? But it's more about like, <laughs> what do you do when you get punched in the chin and you get knocked down? A lot of people will stay down. And I think in, in this business, you have to be able to find that resolution within yourself to believe that if you don't have the answers or you're not where you need to be right now, that you have the skills and you have the willpower to get to that point where you can be proficient. And so there's a belief in yourself that you have to have. Because I've definitely failed along the way. Like there's yeah. no, but what I do know about myself is that I'm not a quitter. Right. I'd rather, rather die on the field than, than go tuck my tail. Mm. Right. And I found that the people that are extremely successful, not just in, I guess, this is actually extends past just uh, in my role. The people that are the most successful in life know how to adapt to change and they are resilient. Yeah. And it seems like another skill set that's important, just being able to be flexible or adapt. And, and not only that, it seems like just being accountable because like you said, you have failed at times or you might not know something, but, but the client knows that you will figure it out, that you will go there and, and get whoever you need to get to research, whatever you need to do to figure out the, the issue. So, all right, cool. Yeah, all right. So let's say there is a rollout of a new project with your customer. Can you talk on a high level about the steps that are, are taken throughout that process with you? Like, are you helping with onboarding? Um, what kind of happens throughout this, those steps? At the very beginning, there's some type of ideation phase, right? Where we're sitting down with the customer um, and we're understanding the problem that he, she is trying to solve. And we identify collectively that our technology along with X, Y, and Z other solutions is going to take them to the point, take them where they need to be. So there's that step. Um, there's a team that's responsible for that, right? Yeah. There's, and then we'll bring in another team, typically a professional services team of some, to some sort that sits down with the customer and we go through not just the business value of, of what they're trying to accomplish, but then technically and architecturally how we're going to help them get from point A to point B. Okay. If we agree upon that, then there's some type of contractual agreement that's made between the two companies, either for payment on the front end or on the back end or even during with some milestones that we have to meet. And we work together to, to deliver the solution over a period of time. And that's really it, right? On the back end of that, there's a support mechanism whereby we guarantee that, well, there's never a guarantee, but we can guarantee our commitment to supporting the customer, right? And so there are uh, levels of, of, of agreements that are made on the back end, potentially with financial penalties if, if we miss some of those objectives that they're looking for. But that's really where the trust is made, right? Because the ability to problem solve and then be seen from the customer's perspective as a trusted advisor it's huge, right? Because if you were responsible for said project, right? I mean, that's basically the way that I think about this is that a regular human being has a project on, on his or her plate and there's a business objective that he or she has to solve for his, his or her company. But then there's a personal value too, right? Like that individual has a family, has a significant other. They've got career aspirations as well. These things are important to him or her and they need to be successful. So it's on the front end when we're doing this, going through this ideation, 
that's really what we have in the back of our mind. Like what's important to you from a business perspective and what's important to you from a, a personal perspective, like how is going to help you moving forward. And then, you know, collectively, if we're successful with what we're trying to accomplish here, what is the impact to your business and what is the impact to you? Mm. All right. Thanks. That's a good explanation. Now you talked about the steps that you took to get to where you are. Now on the educational side of it, you went to undergrad and then you also got a, a master's degree, right? I did. I did. Yep. Yep. And, uh, leadership. Okay, great. All right. Now, is there a typical steps that are taken to get to the level that you are? Undergrad in a certain field, is working in a technical field for a certain number of years, or, or there really isn't any typical pathway? Yeah, no, there is a typical path. My, okay. my, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, typically, you'll find that uh, people that are in, in my role right now, they would have had some type of business like undergrad. They might have had an MIS degree. They yeah. might have had a you know, business administration degree. Excuse me. They might have had the communications. They, there, there are a number of different ways that, that these folks typically start in these roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll typically get into sales or some type of business analyst role post-graduation. And then at some point along the way, after they've got a couple years of experience under their belt, they end up getting their MBA and they come out at that point, I won't say the world's their oyster, but they definitely got a stacked deck of options to choose from. And getting into account management for some of these larger accounts or larger customers is definitely one of those options because you, you, you definitely have to understand you're running a business. Essentially what, what you're doing in these roles is you're running a business. Right. You work for a company, but you're running a business in, in managing these customer accounts, you know, multi-millions of, uh, depending on the customer base. So you have to have those kind of skill sets, right? The percentages of people with my background is relatively low from my, from my understanding. I think it'd probably be probably the 10 to 15%, mm. to be quite honest with you. Primary reason is what we started off in this conversation talking about is, you know, you have to have those communicative skills. You have to right. understand technology. And in many cases, you have to let the technology go to a team that's responsible for that so that you can focus on the business elements and the strategy. Okay. All right. Now, can you talk about what you love about what you do? Yeah. Helping people, helping people solve problems. I I, I love that. I love the strategy. I mean, like if I even look at the TV shows that I love to watch, there's always this high element of strategy and figuring out like 10 chess moves ahead. I mean, so unquestionably, like the strategy aspect, um, and I, I love the fact that I get to use my innate gifts, right? And my interests, like I enjoy interfacing with people. I love understanding how people think. And I love being able to blend my social side with my engineering technical side. Like a lot of people don't even know that about me, right? But it's, I get to access the full body of who I am at this particular time. That's why, like, I don't know what the future holds for me because I don't know how I'm going to evolve and, and what other things are going to be of interest to me moving forward. Kind of like when I started off as a software engineer and I thought of this side being the dark side, you just, you know, you kind of evolve and then it's like, oh, you know, but th- those are the things that I love for, for sure. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, yeah, this is, people will describe their careers in a number of different ways. But for me, you know, it's about survival to some degree and the ability to provide for my family mm-hmm. and for my kids. Like, I love the fact that I'm going to give them or at least the opportunity have a better life than what I had. And my life wasn't too shabby. I'm just saying, I, you know, I want my, my kids to, I want my kids to have the ability to go to Harvard or, or whatever they want to do. I want to right. be able to provide that environment. 
Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Love that. All right. Now, what about on the flip side? I know you mentioned with your role, the type of relationship you need to have with your clients and, and traveling to them and, and being in front of them. It's a challenge, this whole environment right now with COVID. That's a challenge. But any other challenges or obstacles that are out there for you? Anything that keeps you up at night? Yeah, I mean, you know, pick up where I just left off, talking about family. That's by far the hardest piece, right? Because these types of roles aren't nine to five jobs. You know, I go from East Coast to West Coast to travel the country, sometimes the globe. I get calls from the West Coast. I mean, eight o'clock at night is is nothing, right? And so the times that you're having dinner with your kids or the time that you, you and your wife are having date night and your VP or whoever it is is calling and you've got to step away from the dinner table, you know, ultimately it comes down to managing your ability to be present um, with the things that, and the people and the things that matter. That's like the greatest challenge that I see. In addition to carving out time for yourself, I'm an explorer. I love to explore, you know, challenge myself to do things that even scare the, the crap out of me. And I've had to throttle those things back because, you know, it's basically my family has to be first, my job, and then, and then it's me. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. my perspective on it. Right. Um, right. Those are the greatest ones. The last one will probably be, uh, in some cases, conforming to corporate America. There's, there's no easy way to get around that. You can, if you're fortunate, you've got a great boss and a great leadership stack. But the reality of the matter is that at some point along your journey, you're going to find someone that you report to one level or multiple levels up that is not a fan of your brand. And he, she wants someone else in your job, no matter what you do. And that's a really tough pill to swallow, to, to give your best, know that you're giving your best and the output is there and it's just not good enough. It's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, it is. Uh, what do you do in that situation, <laughs> in those situations? I, I know it's not a, an easy question to ask, just want to yep. see what your perspective is. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, this is, uh, it's, it's a tough one, right? I mean, this is where, you know, I was kind of alluding to this one earlier when I said you have to believe in yourself because you have to believe in yourself even when other people don't. And um, especially when you're competitive, like I'm competitive, I, I played sports growing up, like I'm used to seeing results. Part of the reason I like math is because there's a result, even if the result is infinite, but there's a result. And so I will tell you, like, I, I still struggle with that one. Like yeah. You know, I, I found ways to cope with it. Obviously, you, you got to take a step back and detach yourself a little bit from work and you look at the things that and the people and things that really matter. And this is actually switching gears, but we are in the about to approach the NBA finals. But one of the, that's my favorite sport is basketball. So we're going there, but uh, you know, one of the greatest things that LeBron James has brought to the NBA and to the, is the fact that it's not about having an affinity to the specific team, which really represents to the business. You are the business. He is the star. He is the value that's being added, not the other way around. And so, you know, sometimes Sometimes you, regardless of how attached you are to that company and that brand or that team in this particular case, you might have to keep your options open and look for another opportunity in a different venue. And what that means is that this is where the growth mindset and all these things come together, because if you're constantly sharpening your blade and you're constantly improving yourself, then you look for opportunities that exist in other companies. And yes, I don't have those skill sets today. But I'm going to work on those over the next year so that when it's time for me to jump ship, I will. I spend a lot of time talking to older people, right? It's one of the best things. You're in a fraternity. I'm in a fraternity. Um, you know, you have to have a, a, a wide range of folks that you can lean on for counseling. But one of the things that I heard early on in my life was that when a company gets everything they can out of you, you know, they'll replace you or commoditize you. 
And so you know, it's your responsibility to do the same thing for a company. When you've gotten everything that you can get out of the company, right? And there's nothing more to gain, then it's, it's your responsibility to, to own your fate as well. It's easier said than done because I am a fan of loyalty. Like that's one of my, probably one of my greatest traits to a fault. And so it's hard to detach yourself to something that you essentially love. Like if you're there long enough at a company, you're associated with the brand and your passion exudes through all of your efforts. And then suddenly you have to pull the ripcord, right? But it, it's just the way of life. It is, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, that's great advice. I wasn't sure if I should ask that question, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> that's good, <laughs> great advice. <laughs> <laughs> all right so hey do you do you have any most memorable moments from your career yeah yeah i've got a couple i got a couple um i'd say okay let's see i'm out of these relatively quick um the first one would be in college right in college there when i switched majors from mechanical engineering to i found this interest in computer science and then then said hey i want to do math like i was always good at math when i switched gears my parents said, hey, this is great. You've made a, an adult decision here by switching your major. But here's the thing. You're going to make an adult decision and fund your way through college. Like that's when the ripcord got pulled, right? And so I ended up, I was working like two jobs, part-time jobs while in college. And in doing so, like I was trying to find my way and having a social element in college as well. And at one of my classes, it was a business class. One of the professors was, um, he had a startup company. And for extra credit, he was like, hey, if you come help me move some stuff, I will uh, give you some extra points, right? The, the company was moving. I helped them. I go there, get the extra points. But I ended up meeting a guy who turned into being my, become my mentor. And uh, the, the guy who ran the business, the CEO of the company, was, uh, was on the faculty of the computer science board. And he said, look, if you come work for us for free, after your work hours, I will basically mentor you in everything that we're doing here. And so I would go work there. I put in like uh, something like maybe eight to 10 hours a week, nothing significant, right? A couple hours here and there. But at the end of my shift, he would basically sit me down and for anywhere from 30 to you know 60 minutes, go through low level, just technical stuff, mm. right? Sharpen my blade. But what he ended up doing was investing in me. Yeah. And I was going through this period of trying to figure things out. This guy basically just opened up, he tapped into a part of me where I started seeing the output and the true potential of what I could have because I was, I was, you know, just, a, I did enough to get by in college. I was more focused on like everything else that was going around me. And I never really yeah. had to study in high school. So books came easy to me. Fast forward, he ended up offering me a permanent role at the company. And so I was working a full-time job and paying my way through college. And so part of my super duper senior narrative at, at an undergrad is the fact that I had a, you know, I was a software developer working full-time. Mm -hmm. I'll take a nine hours versus in 12, 16, whatever. So there's that. And I still keep him in. He's still a, a part of my life. I just texted him yesterday. And any decision that I make, like I'm going to grad school to get my MBA now, any decision that I make, I always float it by him because, you know, without him unlocking that piece in me, that wouldn't have happened. Right. And so right. That, the other piece that was significant to me was at VMware, I won the principal SC. I was a, became a principal systems engineer. At the time, there were only 30, uh, less than 30 in the company. Right. And we're talking about a company that has at that time, probably about uh, 12,000 employees, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was the first African-American to, to become one as well. So there's like, it's this double whammy. And I had taken a leap to go down this career path, I'm trying to summarize this or crystallize it very quickly. But prior to this shift, I was managing multiple accounts. I had about 15 different accounts. That yep. I was 
Um, when I made this shift in my career, I had made a decision to go into the global account program, which meant that I was only focused on one customer, which was AT&T at the time at VMware. It was an investment or a risk because I didn't know what I was getting into. And I left the leadership stack of people that I, I knew. And it, it, it sounds light in, in discussion, but you, know, you basically go into what you know to what you don't know. And, you know, if I'm being completely candid with you, I'd also gone through a divorce. So for me, that was probably one of the lowest points of my life because it has less to do about the divorce and more to do about as an individual coping with failure or what you perceive as failure is difficult, right? It's challenging on the soul. And for me, someone who values family, like my parents are still married today, right? So, you know, for someone who values family to, to fail on that stage, right, that platform for something near and dear to you, it, it takes a toll. It rears its head in a number of different ways. And so for me, I buried myself in my work and I was kind of coping through it that way. But at the same token, I was growing and I was traveling the world. And so I had all of these experiences culminating at one. And along this way, I, I won an award. I won SE of the Year Award, like Systems Engineer of the Year Award. It was a worldwide award within the company. But when I got to this principal systems engineer, it was the culmination of all of those things, man. Um, and it just, if I'm being honest, I mean, it, it choked me up, right? Because you have to create a defense. Basically, you sit in front of this panel of about 15 people and you have to basically, after you go through the screening process, you have to tell them why you deserve to be a principal systems engineer, right? And you got to defend, they're going to hit you with all these technical pieces of like, you know, why you don't belong here. There's a good cop, the bad cop. And oh, yeah, this wasn't that great. And you got to, you know, you got to smile, smile. It's like pledging all over again, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing you do is right. Um, that was significant to me for so many different reasons that I think, I think you can probably connect the dots on. And then... Yeah, I mean, the other transitions that I made into getting into business role, they, they were definitely worthy, but those, those two specifically stand out the most to me. Yeah. Um, from a perspective, but also from a life perspective. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, no, that's great. You kind of bottled it all in, but you kind of used it, though, to, to motivate you, you succeeding and, and getting these awards and being the only African-American or at least the first African-American to be a principal engineer. And also, I love you talking about the mentor and, it, you know, just the importance of having a mentor, just that person taking time out of his life to teach you and, and talk to you about certain things. And I know that you mentor and I know you're on the board of, of certain things and, and helping others. So you see the full circle, too, and how it works out. So I think that's great. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy it's just seeing the parallels because I started out electrical engineering. I didn't really have to study in high school. <laughs> a little shock when I got into electrical engineering, but I uh, ended up finishing in math and was working full-time uh, as a software engineer at IBM and at some other jobs in school and, and started out in the software engineering role also. So, yeah, crazy. Smartest people in the world. There we go. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Well, hey, Eddie, man, this has been great. We're at the end of this interview. I want to get to this quick hitter session. We're going to ask you questions for, for fun to, for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, is there anything else that you want to talk about or anything you think I might have left off asking you? No, man, I, I don't think, I think, I think you, I think you hit it, right? I mean, I think what I'd like to say is that I really admire what you're doing here, like through this podcast. And, uh, you know, especially at this point in my life, when I reflect back, I realized and I probably realized it in the moment too, but I just definitely see it now. The importance of having people that inspire you, right? And a lot of times 
for different subsets of the population, they have working examples around them 24 seven. And often for us, what I found is that we haven't seen someone do it before. And it's very helpful when you have platforms like this, where you're basically, you're laying the blueprint out for others that may not have those resources around them and making it easily accessible. So I have a, a great amount of respect for what you're doing. And I meant that when I said it at the very beginning, I'm, I'm honored to be a, to be participating in this because you're allowing me to help inspire other people through my experiences, um, successes and failures, right? So, and, and if we have the ability to help fast forward someone else's trajectory, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so on board with that. It's not even funny. Man, thanks a lot, man. It really means a lot coming from you. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm trying. So, all right. <laughs> all right. So let's go to this quick hitter session. So, what does this mean? Does this mean like the first thought that comes to mind or do I get to chew on it? Uh, you can chew on it. Yeah, you can chew on it. <laughs> so first, first question, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, man. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I went to basketball my first love, but then the players are rotating around so much, I, I can't even say I have one. But yeah, hands down, Philadelphia Eagles. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Second, favorite movie or show? Ooh. <laughs> um. Favorite movie? Uh, boy, this is a random one. Random one. Uh, for the longest, it has been Last of the Mohicans. Okay. Uh, I think I'm trying to think. There's a uh, strategy aspect to it. Uh, really? you know, you <laughs> it's got a couple of themes, right? It's got a couple of themes. Kind of think of like Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Then there's, there's a family vibe to it. There's a adjustment to social norms that takes place and then ultimately there's a, a theme of, of loyalty and yeah, yeah I won't give it <laughs> that was a great one yeah. all right favorite musical artist or group mm. your favorite group um, would be it's a tough one from a band perspective it'd be the roots from a group perspective I gotta give it to outcast okay yeah favorite vacation spot mm. I'd probably say, I'd say Barcelona. Washington. Ah, yeah. All right. And favorite food or drink? I see. Sushi. Yeah. Um, favorite drink right now, it is, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's an alcoholic beverage, but uh, yeah. uh, Casamigos, if you haven't okay. had it, holy cow. Yeah. All right. Blanco. And this Blanco. Yeah. All right. And then, no, with the sushi, any particular restaurant or just anywhere? Um, so, so I've got a couple here. Like, so I'm living in Austin, right? I've got a couple. Yeah. I've got, um, there's a, a Mikado's, which is close to my home, but there's also, this is corny, but it's my cheers. Uh, this place called Zushi Sushi, and you typically don't eat sushi at chains, but this place is five minutes from my house. It's like when when there what when COVID was not a thing and I was working from home, I'd spend a couple hours uh, at you know at my remote office at Zushi Sushi, have my my social interaction with the, with the regulars at the bar while I'm on my laptop, get <laughs> at home on time for dinner, spend time with the kids. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice. All right. Well, hey. Eddie, man, this has been great. I learned a lot in this interview, and this definitely does seem like the perfect role from you, like you, we mentioned earlier, just putting everything together and love hearing about all your awards and all the success that you've done. So congrats on all your achievement. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, continue doing what you're doing. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Well, have a good one. All right, brother. We'll see you. All right, brother. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.